The reading is taken from John chapter 10, uh, and starting at the first verse, it's on page 1076 in the Pew Bibles. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Hearing the good news about Katie uh, got me thinking back to my BAP uh, and the BAP report that uh, they send you out. It's quite a complicated process, um, but what you get at the end of it is you get sort of a five, six-page document, uh, sometimes even longer, where they basically talk through everything that they've seen in you, all your strengths, all your weaknesses, and they kind of then sum you up at the end. And it feels uh, quite a humbling thing, actually, really, to have your whole um, life and ability summed up in a few pages. Um, But they put this thing at the end of mine, these words. um, We see Mark as a theological leader in mission for the church. A theological leader in mission for the church. Now, if you can explain to me what a theological leader in mission is, I'd be very grateful because it just seems a bit of a nonsense to me, especially someone who actually gets a little bit annoyed with theologians. I find theologians quite irritating because what they seem to do is take simple truth and make it very complicated and inaccessible. They get lots of long words, lots of confusing concepts, and they kind of mingle it all together. And in the end, my brain just feels like mush. And what did seem quite simple to me actually ends up becoming quite confusing. There was a wonderful quote that I read, um, someone posted on Facebook, one of these quotes a few, um, a few months ago, which was uh, someone saying, praise the Lord for biblical theologians because they make simple truth accessible to all. Because when Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, they give us a whole list of reasons why we don't have to cut our hands off. (laughs) Now, of course, there is a place for theology and theologians, but perhaps what I've always tried to do is, uh, is hold on to the simplicity of the message. And today I think I've got a message for you which is really quite simple. 
It's not complicated. Simple to hear, but hard to do. I think that's the, the case with all good understanding of the Bible. Is that actually it's quite simple to hear and understand. But the challenge comes when you put it into practice. We don't have challenge in theology so that the practice becomes easier. No, we, we take on the full force of what Jesus is trying to tell us so that we can make the necessary changes in our lives to live a life that honours him. Well, here we are um, in John's Gospel. We've been here for a little while, and I must say, I have absolutely loved the time we've spent in John's Gospel. I hope you have too. It is the most wonderful book. And the Jesus who is revealed there, who is both man and God, and the way those two things blend together so beautifully, and the way John explains who Jesus is and what he's come to do is just absolutely fantastic. I've loved spending the time in John's Gospel with us together, and I've, I've actually had the privilege of preaching many of these passages. If I can just encourage you that if you are at a loose end at all this week, why not just read through John's Gospel? It's not a taxing read, it's not difficult, but it is so rewarding. And here we are in John chapter 10. It just so happens it's my favourite uh, chapter in John because it's got those wonderful words right in the middle of it in John 10 10 and we'll come there later but here we are and we get here uh, following what's just happened in John 9 and what happened in John 9 is that Jesus healed a man who had been born blind and in so doing he actually upset quite a few people in fact a lot of what Jesus does upsets certain groups of people And here he's just upset a group of Pharisees. And he's actually in the middle of an argument with them. And he's launched a scathing attack on this group of Pharisees. And he's basically accused them of not doing the work of God. And even worse than that, he said, uh, and you claim to have your eyes open. And so there is no excuse for you. You are not doing the work of God and you are doing it with your eyes open. You are willfully going against the will of God. And in this passage, he goes on to um, talk to them and he goes on to accuse them of leading other people astray. And in this passage, there is a contrasting imagery that Jesus uses. And he uses the contrast between uh, himself as the good shepherd and the religious establishment, and those who have gone before, uh, the Pharisees being part of that, as thieves and robbers who would try and break into the pen and steal the sheep. Jesus is clearly demonstrating a difference between himself as the good shepherd and the religious establishment and the Pharisees as the head of that establishment, as those who are going against the will of God. We know that the Pharisees are the ones who Jesus is describing as the thief because Jesus refers to everyone who comes in by another way except from through the gate as thieves. And then he goes on to refer to himself as the gate. So although the imagery gets a little bit confusing in the middle of this passage because it seems that Jesus is at one point saying that he's the shepherd and then he's saying the gate, 
Well, Jesus is clearly making two different points there, although there is some thinking that maybe uh, the shepherd did actually even sleep in the, the gateway, so that there was a sense in which the shepherd was a gateway anyway. But I don't really think that's the point. But I think what Jesus is demonstrating here is that if he is the gate, he is the way that you access the sheep pen, then anyone who goes by another way which isn't through the gate, isn't through Jesus, is a thief and a robber. A thief and a robber. And these Pharisees are doing everything they can to discredit Jesus. They are telling uh, people that, that, that salvation can be found, but it can be found in different places. They're saying that Jesus is not the way to salvation. And so they're clearly thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers. They are false teachers. And their words will not lead to life. Their words will lead to the death and destruction of all those who follow. Jesus is the good shepherd. Everyone else is a thief and a robber who claims to come and offer life, except through Jesus. And there's a simple choice in this passage. It's very clear. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the good shepherd? Are you going to follow his voice, which leads to life, and life in all its fullness. Just listen to those words in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do we follow the good shepherd who leads to life in all its fullness? Or do we follow the thief and the robber, which only leads to death and destruction? That is the choice that is in front of the people there who are listening to Jesus. And it's the choice that is in front of us now. Simple. Do you follow Jesus, which leads to life? Or do you follow another voice, a thief and a robber and a false teacher, which will lead you to destruction? And throughout John's Gospel, we have seen this double story unfolding, these two realities, these two choices. They're being presented to us all the way through We've seen the physical, real world. Physical, real world problems. Problems of hunger, thirst, weakness, and which ultimately ends in death. And we also see the spiritual new life that Jesus is bringing. A spiritual new life that transforms not just our inward spiritual selves, but transforms the whole of us when we follow in Jesus' way. John has set out these two um, realities, as it were, through his gospel. We saw it right at the start of our series when Jesus was having that conversation with Nicodemus. Do you remember back that that far? Where Jesus was having that conversation. And and he says to Nicodemus, if you want a kingdom of heaven, in response to uh, Nicodemus' question, if you want to be in the kingdom of God, then you need to be born again. And Nicodemus' response was, it's impossible. How can someone be born again? You can't go back into your mother's womb and be born again. It's not possible. But Jesus then goes on to explain, well, actually, no, it's not about a physical birth. 
It's being born from heaven. It's about a spiritual birth. Unless you become spiritually alive, then you cannot be part of the kingdom of God. Unless you are spiritually alive, you can't be part of the kingdom of God. Now, we know Nicodemus, although was confused at the time, actually did make some progress. But then we heard about the water into wine. That very earthly, real, physical problem, the problem of this world. We've run out of wine. There's no wine at the wedding. What are we going to do? People confused, worried. They want to solve the problem that's ahead of them. We've run out of wine. It's a very earthly problem. It's a very middle-class problem as well, isn't it? (laughs) We've run out of wine. That's their concern. But Jesus almost says to the very, the, the very words, I'm not bothered about this. Why are you bothering me with this, this earthly problem? No, but he does do a miracle. And the miracle reveals not an earthly saving, but actually the spiritual truth. That the kingdom of God has come, and when the kingdom of God comes, there is celebration and there is abundance of joy. You can't limit the kingdom. You can't block it in. Actually, it's enormous. It's huge. It's overwhelming. Spiritual truth. Although, did people even see it? Or did they just see the earthly reality of new wine? Really clearly, we see it at the woman at the well, don't we? Where Jesus asks her for a drink. They have a conversation. And Jesus says those words to her where he says, well, actually, if you knew who I was then it's you who would have asked me for a drink. And then really helpfully, the Samaritan woman, she, just, she totally demonstrates the point by saying, but you have no bucket to draw water with. She is seeing the physical, earthly situation. How can you possibly give me a drink? You haven't got any means to get water. But Jesus goes on to explain to her, it's not actually earthly physical water he's talking about he's talking about a well of water which grows inside you which flows up from your your very soul and nourishes you the holy spirit living inside you a spiritual awakening a spiritual reality we know that she does come to faith and brings her whole town with her the feeding of the 5,000, in fact, the passage we looked at, uh, not in this service, but, but in, in other services, because uh, it was a family service here, but the passage we looked at, which was following the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus had gone across the lake, and the disciples had rowed across the lake, and the crowds finally catch up with Jesus later. And Jesus says to the crowds, he says, the reason you've come here now, it's not because the teaching, and it's not because of anything else, the reason you've come here now is because I gave you food when you were hungry, and now you're hungry again, so you've come for more food. That's what Jesus says to them. You're only here because of your stomachs. Because you've got an earthly problem, and you've found someone who can answer that earthly problem. You're only thinking in these earthly terms. But you know what? Jesus could have made food for them every day of their lives. Could have produced plenty of food. They would never have been hungry physically again but they still would have died. They still would have actually been empty inside. Jesus says, you've missed the point. It's not about earthly food. It's about a spiritual reality. It's about spiritual food. 
and in the last passage as well, in, when Jesus says, I am the light, the light of the world. He's talking about a spiritual truth. The Pharisees, they only see um, their earthly rules. That's what they bring against him. You know, you're only here talking on your own behalf. They don't engage with the truth that Jesus has come. Because they look at Jesus and they see one man standing in front of them. That's the earthly truth. There was one man there. But what was the spiritual truth? The spiritual truth is that Jesus was standing there with the Father. That he was speaking the words of the Father, but they had eyes which couldn't see it. They had minds which were closed to the truth which was in front of them. See, all the way through John's Gospel, Jesus has been bringing this spiritual truth, and some people have received it, but many people have turned against it. He's saying there's more to life than you see. Open your eyes. There's more to life than what seems to be in front of you. You see, you can chase after the things of this world. You can chase after food and water. They're the most important things, perhaps, because without them we'll die. But you can chase after all the food you want. You can chase after the water you want. You can chase after power and money and responsibility and authority. You can chase after a wonderful relationship. You can chase after all these things. And you can be incredibly successful in this life. But actually, even if you do all that, you will be empty and hungry. You will be in darkness and ultimately you will face death. And there is nothing that can save you. Not in your own strength. Not in this physical, earthly world. There is nothing that you can acquire for yourself that will save you. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the thief and the robber who comes in and promises so much and yet ultimately has no power to save? Or are you going to follow the good shepherd? Do we want to be led into spiritual darkness, hunger, thirst, poverty and death? Or do we want to be led into life and abundance and eternal water and food and light? So focused on the earthly reality that you have missed the spiritual truth. It's like, has anyone ever seen um, the Bruce Lee movie, Enter the Dragon? Anyone? No? Just one or two. <laughs> there's, a, there's a very short moment when Bruce Lee is training one of his students and uh, he gets the student to try, try and kick at him and he does it and he goes, No! It was like a finger pointing at the moon. Don't look at the finger or you'll miss all that heavenly glory. Do we so, are we so focused on the things of this earth that actually we have missed the most important, the most important thing, the heavenly glory of God who can meet our every need And even if in this life we end up being hungry and thirsty and poor, we will have life in all its fullness. That's what Jesus has come to bring, life in all its fullness. Not just in eternity, but for now. 
Because the truth is that even in this physical world, all the food and the drink and the relationships and the money, even all of that will not satisfy. Even if you have it all, you will be living an empty, shallow life if you don't also have the fullness of life that comes from God. The choice is clear. The choice is clear. Do we follow Jesus or do we follow a thief and a robber? The other passage I had at 8 o'clock this morning, it's on the news sheets, and please do read it at some point, uh, was the passage from Ephesians. And the reason I picked that was, well, because it, it fits with this, but also because it is one of my absolute favourite passages in the whole Bible. And you'll, you'll, you'll be familiar with that passage because it talks about us having every spiritual blessing in Christ. Does that ring a bell? That passage where Paul's talking about it. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Christ, we have access to all the fullness of who God is. And a little bit later on in that passage, Paul explains, he says, the same power that's at work in us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Every spiritual blessing in Christ, even the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is at work in you and me. And if that if that is true, and we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, and it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead, then this makes sense, doesn't it? If that power's at work in us, then of course we are living life in all its fullness. How could we not? The same power that raised Christ from the dead at work in us, of course we are going to live life to its absolute fullness. We are going to be everything we can be, because that power is incredible. At work in us. All this is true. But I have a question. And the question is this. Do you ever feel like you are living life not in all its fullness? Do you ever feel like your life lived is falling short of what a life lived in all its fullness would be like? Does it seem true to you that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ? Are you experiencing those blessings right now? Because I've got to be honest, I'm not. I'm not experiencing every single blessing that Christ could possibly pour out on my life right now. And I sometimes, and quite often, in fact most of the time, if I'm honest, maybe all the time, do not feel like I am living life to its fullness. And I can probably count on one hand the moments when I've actually probably got close to feeling that. So if that is true, and the words of Jesus in this book are true, he's not lying to us about this, then what's going on? Jesus promised us lives in all their fullness. And Paul then backs it up with saying that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Then why do we not live lives to the full? Because maybe, maybe in some areas of my life and some areas of your life, in some way we are still living with our eyes on this world, this reality, 
and not with our eyes on that new kingdom that Jesus brings. Maybe in some ways I'm still living in my old life, my worldly life, the life that cares about putting food on the table, having enough to drink, but actually probably cares more about what the bank balance says, what influence I have, who I'm impressing today, how good my relationships are. Am I so focused on my earthly reality and the concerns of everyday life that actually I'm missing out on some of the freedom that Christ wants to bring? Am I still following in some way false teachers, those who have broken into the sheep pen by another way? And am I listening to their voices, even though if I'm honest, I know that they're false teachers and I know that they're voices which are leading me astray? Do I recognise the voice of Christ when he calls me? Do I recognise the voice of God? And you know, I think this must be true. Because if I compare the amount of time I spend listening to the voice of God and the amount of time I spend listening to the voices of the world, those two do not compare favourably. And take, for example, just one one simple example. How much time do I spend reading the Bible compared to the amount of time I spend sitting in front of the TV? I know for me... It's a fraction, and not a very big fraction. But think about all those other voices that we listen to. All those other places where we hear the voice of the world. It's not just in the TV, but in perhaps conversations with, with friends where you know, we're not talking about honourable things, we're gossiping. Or perhaps there's conversations we have at work. Or perhaps there's things that we invest our time in. Hobbies that actually really aren't honouring to God. Now I'm not saying that we need to spend all our time on our knees in prayer and reading the Bible. But there is a big question here about how are we nourishing ourselves? What voices are we listening to? What are we investing our lives in? Are we chasing after happiness and security and joy? Well, we probably all are in some way, but actually, are we, are we looking for that in the wrong places? Because it's only in Christ, it's only in Jesus that we can have life in all its fullness. Every other voice, every other place we look for it, will only lead to death. Are we following Jesus wherever he calls? Well, I don't think any of us are going to make it overnight. I don't think any of us can just switch that switch, can we, and and become people who live life in all that fullness, people who experience everything that God has for them. We're all on a journey. I love that passage in Philippians which talks about Jesus. He who began the good work in us will be the one who is faithful to see it to its completion. So actually... It's the work of God in us that transforms us and brings us closer to him. Praise God, because I couldn't get there myself. But what we can do is we can take small steps. 
we can identify small places where actually maybe today I can spend a bit more time listening to the voice of God and not to the world. We can maybe cut down on some of those things actually which if we're honest and we look into our hearts we know are not healthy for us, not spiritually healthy for us. We can perhaps just ease ourselves off some of the addictions that we have to things of this world. Just maybe a step at a time. And I'm going to make you a promise today. And the promise is this. That the next time you see me, I will not be the finished article. But I will try, and I will try very hard, to be a little bit more complete than when you see me now. Those of you who are coming up to my um, licensing in, in just a, a few weeks' time, I'm really looking forward to seeing as many people there as possible. It's going to be a wonderful time. And uh, I'm just so encouraged for the numbers that are coming already. It's been a real encouragement. But when you see me there, feel free to ask me, have you made any progress? <laughs> I'll answer as honestly as I can. But I hope that when you see me then, even in just a few weeks' time, I'll be a little bit further on. And in the, years, uh, uh, in the years to come ahead, we hope to see many of you, as often as you like. Please, honestly, if you're going up the M5, just stop in and see us. We are literally not even five minutes off the motorway. But I hope each time you see me that I'm a bit further on that journey. And I'm making that promise to you, and I'm not going to demand that you make a promise to me, but if you'd like to, I'd, I'd love for you to make that same promise to yourself, that you're going to keep moving forward. Keep spending more time listening to the voice of God and just slowly, slowly easing yourself off the voice of this world which will only lead you to death. Fullness of life is only found in Jesus. Let's not waste our time with these other things.